Welcome to The Village Lantern, a podcast for families living with hidden challenges such as autism and other neurodiverse conditions, and for anyone else wanting to understand, love and support. Our mission is to build understanding, empathy and love for families living with one or more children who have hidden conditions that make life harder in one way or another. We call this extra zing. When you are working, you're trying to manage this extra layer, quite honestly, behind closed doors, right? Mostly, you're trying to fit all this stuff in. And I think inevitably what happens is you either, I mean, we've seen plenty of women who were absolutely committed and enamored with their jobs who've just left. So then they've got this identity crisis, potentially financial impact, etc. Or that you keep pushing, pushing and you burn out and things get bad. And I can say that's what happened for me. In the spirit of reconciliation, Takes a Village acknowledges the traditional custodians of country here on the lands of the Boon Wurrung and Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation, as well as throughout Australia, and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hi everyone, it's Anna here. Welcome back to the Village Lantern podcast. This is just a quick intro about this episode. This is a conversation with Shah Bell and myself, and we are talking about working with neurodivergent kids. Of course, the world of balancing work while raising kids is hard for everyone, but when you add the additional and complex needs of our kids, it's a whole new level of challenge. Uh, This is a topic we've talked about many, many times before getting behind the microphones. And of course, we're just scratching the surface in this episode. We expect to have many more conversations like this together and, and with other people that we bring in. We've also spoken to many of our friends and other people in our community who lament this challenge as one of the biggest things they're facing. So we've heard it almost everywhere we turn that this topic is um, a really big one for families like ours. And for those of you listening who are living the same life as us, you will not be surprised to hear about these following kind of daily challenges. I mean, getting the kids ready is one thing, but if you've got reluctant kids uh, who in the past have been referred to as being school refusers, I think thankfully now there's a, a refreshed title which defines a little bit more compassionately what they're experiencing, which is school can't. Uh, If you can't get the kids out the door, you've got a problem. I think we can take for granted the idea that kids going to school really provides that freedom for most people to rely on to be able to commit to some kind of paid work in, in whatever form that looks like. If you do make it in, if you get the kids in, you can expect regular phone calls from school or kinder or other care providers to let you know that your child's not coping, they need to be picked up, and that really is quite a regular event, but it's hard to predict. So that unexpected element is another challenge. The many therapy and medical appointments that our kids need to get to, not only is it hard to get access to these appointments because there's uh, increasing demand for them, but if you do manage to get an appointment, they're usually during business and school hours. So there's another challenge. If you do manage to get an after school or uh, appointment, then you've got an exhausted kid. He's almost got nothing left to draw on to make Um, you know, the most of that session to make it worthwhile. You've got the despair about really not being able to solve these complex problems and and the inevitable exhaustion and and ultimately burnout that comes from really trying to carry on with that challenge on an ongoing basis. 
We've seen many cases of families like this where a decision has been made that one of the parents has to leave their job uh, in order to meet all of these needs. And of course, that has a quite significant financial impact, um, not to mention the emotional impact of that significant change to your life and potentially how you envisaged what your life might look like. And then, of course, the additional pressures of the many, many single parents out there who are trying to juggle all of this without that option to fall back on. You know, I think it's really hard not to look at other families around you that that seem to be able to live a really different life. And as much as we try not to compare our lives, it's quite a stark reminder of how much adjustment's truly required for families like us to live the versions of the life that we need to live. I was recently interviewed on an Australian publication called Primer about this issue. This was actually in relation to women with ADHD who were making decisions about work. And after it was published, I had many, many people contact me commenting on the article saying how similar that experience was for them. And it was just so clear how how far reaching this this issue is. I recently saw an article by the Harvard Business Review, which was written by two professionals who were kind of painting that picture of what it looks like. And when that was posted, there were there were a number of comments and reshares from particularly from the diversity advocates and diversity organisations that are growing in numbers that are kind of recognising that this is another version of diversity and inclusion in the workplace. That's a, that's a real issue that needs to be factored in to um, systems and policies. And we're actually pleased to say that through Takes a Village, we're working with Grace Papers, an organisation that supports working women through all the different stages of parenting to add in this complex niche around that additional challenge of balancing work while raising neurodiverse children. So I hope you like it. I hope it's not too triggering. I think it will be, but, you know, I think the idea of this is to really share the story that you're not alone. This is a common challenge amongst families like ours and, um, you know, we just want to start that conversation about raising awareness of it. So we always, as always, keen to hear what you think. You can email at Anna at thevillagelanternpodcast.com to let us know what you think or you can post on Insta, socials, Facebook, let us know your comments and um, what you think. Um, hope you like it. Love you all. Bye. Hi, Shah and Belle. Hi, Good Anne. to have you back. Mm, thanks for having us back. How are we? Good now. Good. Yeah. We just had a cup of tea before we started. Nice. Yeah. Cup of tea solves a lot of things. Yeah. We're going to talk about parent well-being and how that impacts parents being able to work mm-hmm. today. And what triggered us to bring this topic was one, well, because it's very live for us, but we're also all on a chat group of neurodiverse parents and a couple of newcomers to the group have been raising that issue um, mm. for them who perhaps are maybe a little bit earlier in some of their journeys than us. And I've noticed quite a few people saying, I don't know how I'm going to work yeah. because up until now they were working, two parents working, and we've all got a lot to say about that. Yeah. And so mm. I'm sure it's a something that if not all, a lot of parents and families living with similar lives to us and it's massive. Yeah. It's massive. So, Belle, do you want to, you were just going to tell a story before. Do you want to tell a story of um, one of the um, mums who's on that group and mm. experience that she just went through? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of my good friends who does work four days a week and, you know, their 10-year-old has recently been diagnosed So things often, like she would say, has she become more autistic since the diagnosis? Because it has been a hard year compared to other years. So now she was in Sydney for four days and had worked so hard to set up 
you know, obviously her husband's working as well. He was doing certain pickups and drop-offs, carers, you know, family, friends, you know, everyone, the whole community village around them. Mm. Meals and ready, me- lists, exactly. instructions. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and just found the whole experience to be filled with anxiety and the phone calls from the kids every morning not wanting to get out of bed. And that wasn't because her husband was saying, you need to speak to your mum. Like mm. they would like, mm. you know, run off and speak mm. and help and this is terrible. And and she just f- felt like she couldn't, she wasn't her real self at work mm. because she had that anxiety and it's her dream job, which is why she's going to Sydney every month. And she just came back, we caught up last night and she was like, I don't know how I can do it. Mm. How can I have a job, my dream job, which mm. I finally have got and with an autistic child mm. that, that needs me around, said I just felt so guilty. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I was working and then eventually I did take a break. For two years I stopped paid work. But before that I was the same. I was juggling three young kids, one of whom was particularly difficult, and I just remember feeling so extra exhausted, but I couldn't see it at the time. Like I just Mm. thought, well, this is my life. We've all got our lives. You know, I like working and also we, so I want to work. Even on my maternity leaves, before things got more complicated, I found it really boring. I really hate, I loved babies and I loved being a mum, but I hated the park. I hated just every day being everything being around doing these very kind of boring things and that's my ADHD coming into it as well. But it's also the person in me who's used to a certain life. Mm. So, you know, for anyone who adjusts to parenthood, that's a real thing. But when things started getting harder with Millie and I got phone calls all the time, you've got to come and pick her up, she's not coping, she's, you know, ruining other people's kinder work and fighting with some other four-year-old in the corner, the stress of that, then you come home and you've got to try and finish your work from online and then not knowing what's going to happen. So you can't, mm. you don't have that. What most people can have is that when they drop the kids at school, you're assuming unless someone's sick or an accident happens, which is quite, you know, less likely that they're going to be there from 8.30 or 9 till 3 or 3.30 and you can rely on that. And then anything else around that you can build around. But it started happening more and more that that just wasn't really the case. And I think I just muddled through for a really long time and I think looking back now, even people would have said to me, what do you, this looks too hard. But I also didn't want to give that up because, one, Mm. financially that was an arrangement that we were sort of reliant on. But secondly, I was like a bit sort of cross about the fact that why should I have to stop doing that? Why why can't I make it work? So cross. Yeah, there's no way I wanted to give it up because I felt like, I wasn't accepting of the, this lot in life. Yes, and that's huge. Yeah. Mm. And now I'm really pleased to say that um, I am working but it's under really much more flexible terms and I'm, I was at a place where I could go in saying, this is what you get. If, if you're hiring me, this is what you get. And I would be really careful about choosing an environment where I knew mm. that was going to be mm. sort of manageable. And I think that's the key, isn't it, um, and before Shas shares their experience, but is that my advice that I always give people and I work four days a week is that I I can only work in an industry and environment that I can bring my true self yes. and that they are very aware of my circumstances. Yes. Yep. And COVID has helped in the sense that the working from home and the flexibility, but it would it is almost impossible to do jobs where there isn't that. Yep. And that's, you know, yep. probably your industry. Show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think the other thing that I'm sure it comes with age. You know, there's something amazing about being in your 40s as a woman. Like I just let go of so many things that I used to Mm. worry about. But I think also if you can find that belief that you're actually pretty good at what you do and that if you are delivering, it may not look the way that maybe the traditional 
show up a certain time, you stay yeah. up for a certain hours. And if you're delivering and you're really, you know, you're getting good feedback and you know you're doing a good job, then that, you know, hopefully depending on your boss or your agreement, that that becomes the thing that makes it okay, mm-hmm. you know, and that, yes, you have to then do some work on the weekend or pick it up in the evening. But if you love it and if you feel grateful that you've been able to fit all of that in, then, you know, there mm-hmm. are ways to make it work. But I, I like I the escape as well, which I know. So do I. We, we, our kids are older, so we can, but um, I 100% need an excuse to get away yes. from the kids as much as I love them. Yep. But that mm-hmm. gives me that. Well, you can't think about them when you're really consumed with something else and that's really important for your brain resting and for your own mental health. Yeah. Actually, particularly when it was really hard with my eldest and I was getting phone calls all the time about meltdowns and behaviours and, you know, from everyone from like gymnastics class Mm -hmm. to to the school age, I had two sets of grandparents. Mm -hmm. So that's what got me through. I had a babysitter and two sets of grandparents yeah. and so I could then continue to work because of that. Yeah. But most people don't have that. So Yeah, and I think one of the things that we've been talking about quite a bit is that there are different ages and it varies, of course, but there are when your children are really small, it's actually easier except mm. for in your situation, Charlotte, which I think <laughs> is adding complexity very early, but it's easier, not easy, to mm. find babysitters and people that mm. can manage yeah. a two-year-old and a four-year-old whatever, but as the complexity of that child mm. in my in our case gr- increased, I mean, I think, I don't know if I've talked about that. I've had babysitters leaving crying. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm. because once it starts to get to that point where actually you don't even know how to manage it, let alone asking anyone else to, when you start to realise that that support system is is breaking down, that's when you go, I actually don't know if I can live mm. yeah. the way I was hoping to. Yeah. I yeah. actually think I need to radically think about this whole situation. Yeah. I think that's the learning that's... I've been on this journey anyway, but that you, at the start, you know, you go, well, I'm just going to be a working mum. Mm. That's what you do. My mum worked, everyone mm-hmm. works. It's it's no big deal, but it's hard, yes. And everyone, you know, being a parent is hard whilst, you know, struggling on through work. And I'm working in an industry that I that I do, which is advertising, is not very uh, flexible or forgiving of any kind of other care needs. They're trying to be, but... Um, Are they trying? They, they've got lots of uh, kind of initiatives okay, about it. But it, in practice, it's all bollocks because I lived in, I have lived in that world. And to be honest, you have to be on, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It, they say, go home, you know, see your family, but no, you can't. You're still thinking. You're still coming up with ideas. You can't. For me, it's always been okay when my eldest was small. I could still do it. It was all fine. It was a bit hard. In my job, I have to use my brain a lot and I have to I fill my brain with other people's problems that I have to solve um, in a clever way with beautiful craft and I put a lot of energy into that and I loved it. Like it made me thrive. And as my kids got older... And so to, to survive that, people are like, how, you know, there's a lot of women in, in advertising going, how do you do it? How do you have kids and still continue? I say, you get a nanny that's mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. like having a, a, a wife at home. And you pay. And you pay a lot of money yeah. and mm. you have someone so reliable that when you're at work, you don't even think about yeah. those kids. And that's how I did it. And you're working to pay mm. for that. To really. pay for like that. Like it's not, mm. like, yeah. it's not, you don't get yeah. much to take home after that, <laughs> no. but that's because you love work and that's yeah. because yeah. that's your And choice. then as my life got more complicated as the kids needed more and you know we're only talking in the last couple of years things got harder covid hit obviously Uh, my eldest went out of school he wouldn't 
he was obviously everyone was out of school, but he had to have everyone was homeschooling. He couldn't homeschool. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of extra, you know, lots of parents were sitting on Zoom calls with kids. Mm. You know, I had to kind of reinvent a whole education system for him, <laughs> you know, to try and get him to yeah, even, your whole balance just yeah, went out. Yeah. I went freelance because I was like, I need to have some agency over my time and also who I work with, not just how long I work in the day. It's like, I want people, like you say, who go, get it. You you can't do this job. It's going to be too much. This one's going to be great for you. And I ended up working with a really good friend of mine, a creative director in, in London, who totally got it. And she was so respectful of my time that we did this amazing partnership where she would do all the meetings and I would do all the writing, which is my favorite part. Perfect. And it worked for two years. It was brilliant. And I, you know, I owe her a lot because we did some amazing projects together, probably some of the best work of my life. And we worked out is because we just reinvented the wheel of how Mm. to work Mm -hmm. that suited us. Mm. And I was like, she loves a meeting. She's really good at selling ideas to clients in a way that's strategic and creative and she's passionate. And I can't imagine anything worse than talking to a client and trying to convince them. It's like, I just want to sit in a room and write. And that worked out really well. And then I moved here and then our world exploded Mm. and my eldest had a burnout breakdown, full breakdown. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I had to completely rethink my life. And it was scary because mm. yeah. my work was my life. Mm. And, and then, you've never not worked before this, Never right? not worked. As an adult. Never That's not worked. That's a massive And I started thing. work at 21. Yeah. You know, I didn't have a gap year. I went straight into advertising. Yeah. And that's all I've done. I've done yeah. it for 20-something years, 23 years, something. Yeah. And and tell, tell me how that makes you feel. Like are you, is there resentment there well, or are you it, just too in the thick of it? At to, the beginning... I remember speaking to the psychiatrist who was helping us with the burnout and the stress. And I said, you know, I have changed everything in my life to come here. I have literally turned my life upside down, including having to drop a whole part of me. Mm. But I have to because look, and they could see, they could see that life was very challenging. And they were like, you have to do, we understand why you've done this. And I, not that I wanted permission to do it, Mm. because I found it really hard because I come from a, you know, a family of, people work we Mm, work right mm -hmm. and also we not just work we do something we're really passionate about Mm. a lot of my family are in advertising you know it's what you do right Mm. so I had to kind of get my head around that and I did kind of keep my foot in it still but as life got harder it was harder to do Mm. and both of us are in advertising and what I've worked out I was like what is it that's making me so exhausted about this I started fantasizing about jobs where I didn't have to think, Mm. which is the opposite of what my job is. Mm -hmm. Because my brain was full of so many problems that I had to solve at home. I couldn't fit in client problems too. Mm. And I was like, well, someone has to give. And to be honest, the multi-million pound company can do one. My child who's crying on the floor, begging, doesn't, you know, suicidal, Mm. trigger warning. He was talking of quite dark Mm. things. That's quite an, something that needs attention now. Mm. So it was difficult, but I've, when he stopped school, I had to stop everything. Mm. Now he's back in school and I've, the my youngest is in a kinder again with repeating a year. I'm back to writing because my brain has freed up. So I'm writing again. It's going to end up with money down the line, but it's not money now. Mm. But the pressure's now on Sonny. Mm. He's feeling that pressure. We yeah. both looked at each other and said, right, for sustainability of this family, which is, we have a lot going on. It is very, very hard. He is really struggling to Sonny. He's mm. doing his absolute best. 
And he, we're saying maybe in the future we need to work it out so we have part, both, like part time. both do yeah. three yeah. days each yeah. or whatever because yeah. it needs both parents to be yeah. doing this. We yeah. can't, it can't be on one, to yeah. be honest, because the burnout is, Can, I mean, I can't. Would your industry cope with that? No. Like, yeah. So we're looking at so each other high. going, I wish it was different. I've literally, I've for the last few years, I've been on panels, I've done written articles, I've begged, I've gone, there's got to be a different way. And then I realised that it's never going to change because yes. it's a service industry. We're serving a client. The client wants you on. If you're not on, you lose go the away, business. I'll find someone else. Yeah. And so we think we're creating art. We think we're creating these beautiful things that we're trying to shift change and you know create amazing kind of groundbreaking insights. But actually... At the end of the day, there's a client paying you money to do a job mm. and you fill your brain with their problem and they want you to be thinking of that problem and solving it in a brilliant way. Time and time again, they want you to have energy and they want you to do that well. And I'm the kind of person, I'm a bit perfectionist. I would literally give it my all, but I couldn't give everyone my all. Mm. I can't, I just can't. I, I do still get messages from people going, how do you do it? How do you do it all? And I say, I don't. Like, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't do it what? all. And at the moment I'm compartmentalising yeah. that. I still mm. need to write. If I don't write, I literally die inside. Mm. Yeah. And so I'm I am writing and I'm and hopefully that will make money in the future. Yeah. It's not just mindless writing. I'm not sitting there writing a diary. This is gonna <laughs> hopefully go somewhere to make yeah. money. Yeah. So that's quite hard for me because I'm not getting a paycheck. Yeah, and that's, that's really hard. Really horrible yes. for the first time in my life to be like yeah, yeah. that feeling of like I'm not contributing yeah, yeah. You're, what you're and doing I don't is have independence. Important. Yeah. yeah. I spoke to a mum this morning I bumped into in the park and she was saying she's got a child. She's got two children who are autistic, and one of her children is a school can't uh, slash school refusal, which we're not allowed to say school refusal because it's not their fault. Mm. But he hasn't gone to school for the last six months either. So that's how we got got friendly. And she just said, "I used to be really good at my job." Mm. She said, "I was really good. I earned more than my husband. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Mm. And then these kids needed me, mm. and I had to take a different job." that allowed me to be at home. She does bookkeeping now, I think. She said, I don't love it. Mm. She said, and to be honest, my confidence has gone. Mm. And I said, but you're probably one of the strongest women I know. Like, you are amazing at what you do. She's having to try and educate this 10-year-old. She's trying to juggle the family. She's trying to, she's doing all their therapies and stuff. And I you know, bumped into her husband the other day and he's like, she's amazing, she's amazing. Aww. And I told her that. I said, your husband thinks you're amazing. She's like, what? I mean, she literally stays home all day yeah. trying to manage the emotional well-being of the youngest, which is 10. And she also trying to work. She said, I wouldn't be working unless I needed to. She said, because at the moment it's killing me. Mm. But she said, I can't stop because I need the money. Mm. So, and uh, also I, we have to pay so much, yeah, don't we? We need yeah. to make more money. Because yeah. I read that stat, didn't I? The, I found it the other day saying that the average family, it costs 30, between $33,000 and $97,000 more a year to raise neurodiverse child. Mm. I mean, and I think where do we find that NDIS, right? Because I, I'm, mm. I'm assuming that some of those expenses are in relation to therapy and mm. I wonder if they factor in the fact that you can't well, earn as much. It was yeah. to do with that, it's to do with one parent has to kind of yeah. cut their wage yeah. or cut their hours yeah. or stop work completely yeah. and it's all single wage incomes to just to survive, yeah. just mm. to survive, but then you can't afford to keep going with the therapies. But I was thinking about... You know, you've given examples that are often school can't situations, yeah. but I was also thinking another member of our WhatsApp group whose 
kids are enrolled in school. They're both autistic girls. They're enrolled in school. They're supposed to go to school, but mm. you just don't know which mm-hmm. day they're yeah. going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then she's like, well, I, I've always worked but had to leave work because there was, you know, school can't situation. Then now we're at school, but then maybe we go twice or two or three times a week. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so how do you then manage going into the office if you don't know when your child is going to be overwhelmed yeah. and yeah. exhausted and which day they're going to go? And you know what? I think there are some things that can help. And I think it does take a lot of creative thinking and sometimes Mm. that's hard if you haven't got the energy. Mm. But I think also remembering that it's a time in your life. Yes. Yes, And I know no one ever wants to hear that and it's taken me a long time Mm. to get my head around that. But now that I'm starting to be on the other end of it and Mm. it's still still within the context of I don't know when they're going to school, Mm. I don't know when I'm going to have to pick them up, I still factor that in. But I feel now, and I think I've said this to probably you, Belle, I don't know if I've said it to you, Sha. When I turned 45, my youngest came up and squeezed my cheeks and he said to me, Mummy, you've got 45 more years to live. And, mm. I, and oh I was my, like, oh, my God. Yeah. I actually, oh, I, I mean, he's hoping, right? But what, mm. that, what that helped me see is that I do, and maybe for women, especially in our situation, and I'm and I'm not not including men here, but you know we're talking about our own experiences. That maybe we keep on working for longer, mm. and that we are able to really pick up and go where we wanted to go a bit later. And I know that's a hopeful thing to say because I know that you know in the sort of traditional workplace, it can be mm. harder as you're older. But mm. if you are not seeking someone else to employ you, and I think Shah, with what mm. you've just described. There is absolutely a way that you can do that work. It doesn't require you to be working for someone for else. Someone, I know yeah. it's a big leap, but mm. all those skills that you said are absolutely, you'll be able to use them. It's just going to be, a, you'll, it'll take yeah. some time to work out I what think the is. world needed to catch up with change. Mm. And I think obviously COVID has really helped in that sense, obviously with all the kind of shortcomings of that. But flexibility, I, I used to always be asking for flexible working in, in, in advertising and, and it was always like, no, and, that's why I and just, you're like suddenly the world shuts down and yeah. flexible working has to happen yeah. and so they made it work and yeah. you're like you know the only problem is with it is you know there was a higher proportion of women that dropped out of work because of that flexible working of during covid and that they, they became the kind of they reverted back to kind of old-fashioned roles again yeah. of like the being the main carers and stuff and doing all the homeschooling i'm not saying this is every household but mm. the stats show something mm. really grim that we went back to the 1940s basically mm, yeah. mm. and progress for gender equality within work has completely yeah, been set back we're not going to get it in our lifetime now yeah. right so that makes me cross yeah. as well because i'm like i need to be at work yeah. for this but then there's self-survival there's survival and there's like then it's almost like I've worked out that I I never really thought about it. I just worked. Mm. And now I'm like, I'm trying to see it as an exciting opportunity to invent something that I want. That's right. To Mm. live how I want to live. And I think both of us are finding it difficult because we're slightly institutionalized by our jobs. Advertising, Uh, we've been it, both been in it all our lives. And it's like, you kind of get, it's a very strange, it's a strange industry. They kind of slightly infantilize you. Yeah. I can hear that in the way that you're talking, that you Mm. feel like the only way you can work is through an employer that gives you a job, that gives you the flexibility and that they have that control. One of the things I've learned having been in a corporate situation for most of my career and now I work in a startup, it's completely different. Mm. And so and there are and so I'm what I understand is that lots of women are leaving the traditional yeah. employer model yeah. and starting up their own businesses. And mm. I know that sounds for me, definitely having been in an environment where it's all done for you, that sounds mm. like a big leap, but I think it's happening more and more. Mm. 
Modern companies have modern ways of working. Yeah, yeah totally. And what I'm finding being in a startup is that you, well, particularly because I'm in an HR role, so of course I'm playing a role in setting that stuff up, but you're working for, when I joined the company, there were three people there. Now we're 12. But so when I spoke to the CEO and he talked to me about mm. the job, I said, this is how I can do it. So I work mm. three and a half days, but I spread it over whenever I get it done. Mm. And it's not like you're going into face a company that's got policies and procedures and there's yeah. someone telling you yes or no. You're mm. like, you can go and negotiate, especially when you're good at your job. Mm. And you have to believe that you are, right? So yeah. that's not a, about a true thing. It's about how you see yourself. Mm. You can negotiate with someone who wants your talent mm. and that you've got a little bit more negotiating power than what you might have if you're trying to mm. sort of buck up against a system that's really entrenched. Yep. Yeah. And it's a system that an industry that's really old as yeah. well. Yeah. So even though what, you know, you might have innovative ideas and you're... Yeah. It was set up, you know, Mad Men era. Think yes. about it. And I always said this, it's it's for white men with wives at home yeah. and PAs in the office and, and, and nothing has ceiling. changed. Yeah. yeah, and nothing has changed much. And, they, yeah. you know, you can all have as much um, lunchtime yoga as you want, but it's not changed. And there are some industries still like that, the mm. legal industry, yeah. yep. you know, Banking, banking as well, very yeah. much so. But I mean, they're medical th- industry. Med- yes, yeah. but your Bell, you've got more yeah. experience in government. I've never worked directly in a in a government sort yeah. of department or not for profit. Yeah, not, yeah, 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 until now. But now, well, not that I'm quite that. But from what I've seen, you've had more luck finding more flexible roles yeah. because oh, sure. that's more yeah. about their culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my current employer, we're a social venture, but. We do a four-day working week, so we get paid for five. I love that And so work much. four because they're trying, the whole premise of doing this was to show the not-for-profit sector who are our kind of clients, I suppose, who we do our work for, that it is possible. Mm. And there's been interesting, a lot of people who comment on us doing that who are working in service, like, you know, service industry mm-hmm. consultants mm-hmm. that are like, oh, we just couldn't do that. Yeah. We mm. just couldn't do well, that. We haven't tried. Yeah. We haven't tried, but I have heard that Grant Thornton is now doing a nine-day oh, yeah. working week. Yeah. yeah. So and because they're trying to attract talent. Yeah, that's people interesting. People are leaving in droves. Yeah. So it's like when I had my eldest, I went straight to a four-day week. Yeah. And, you know, it worked for me because I needed that fifth day for live admin, to, mm. you know, to actually, you know, I really wanted this child. I wanted to be around him. I didn't want to. That you was know, before you knew what was coming. This is before I knew what was coming, right? was coming yeah. before I knew, you know, but yeah. I wanted to be there. And yeah. It worked really well for me, but what didn't work was that there wasn't anyone else doing it in the office. Yes. And you've yes, got so a yeah. whole office shuts on the Friday. Yeah, see, that's really good yeah. because I was finding that by Monday I'm like, uh, and Fridays they'd all go to the pub anyway. Yes. And I'd miss out on the social yeah. side of it. But also I just felt like some of the dads should be doing four-day weeks. You know, yeah. I know that mm. some of these families are struggling mm. and, you know, I negotiated four-day week for five-day pay because yeah. I hadn't had a pay rise for so long. I was like, yeah. look, don't yeah. change my... Just yep. change my contract, don't change my pay. Yeah. And that worked well for me because I was like, I don't feel like I'm losing out. Yeah. But at the same time, I used to get frustrated. I kept saying to them, can you give more people four-day weeks? Mm. So that's the biggest difference yeah. because someone said to me the other day, don't you just work four days a week and get paid well? And I'm like, no. no. The whole point is that the whole organisation shuts down. The whole culture is mm. about efficiency. So it's all about mm. Four-day working week, do we really need to meet? Or four-day working week, mm. do you really need to send that email? Four-day mm. working week, are we really going to have that Slack group? So it's yeah, always so our whole culture is about do we need to do this considering we all work four days? Yeah. And that's the that's big amazing. shift. Yeah. One thing that I have found particular to our sort of circumstance is that 
if you've got that culture or that agreement that you can work flexibly, even within that you still have to be, you still don't know if you're going to be able to show up, even on those times totally. when you are, yeah. you know, contracted to work. And one of the things that I feel like I've encountered quite a lot is if I say I have to do something because of one of my children, unless I specifically say that they have special needs and I've even gone so far as using the language disabled because I've, it's the only way yeah. that I can really convey how significant mm. the needs are because otherwise if people go, well, we've all got kids. Yeah. We all have to make it work. Yeah. And that's the bit I think that's the really fundamental differences. Yeah, we do. And what we're trying to do with this podcast and with our messaging is that we do, and we're not disrespecting the hardness of other people's parenting, Mm. but we're trying to convey that it's actually like so much more for all the other stuff that you have to do. Because hidden disability as well, because hidden. That's so hard. People are like, oh, but I just saw your kids. They were fine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and the lack of understanding about what it means. I mean, I think the hours involved as well, like even just on a practical level, I think the other day I worked out that there was one week I did eight hours of appointments. So I'm like, well, how would I have done eight hours of appointments? I often have to like, I mean, it's insane. I've, I've, spend hours in the car driving to do yep. things. I've now managed to get every single therapist to come to our house. Yes, yep. Because that, I mean, you can do that so here. I can't, you can't do yeah. that in England. Yeah. Uh, they all come to us. You do that too. Some I do. part, part. Okay. Yeah. I have to work them all around uh, the hours that I can yeah. do. Yeah. But the hours involved, I mean, Sunny often says to me, how are we going to do this? Yeah. And I just say, we have to. Yeah, we, we haven't know, got a we choice. Will. Yeah, and I say it won't be forever. Yeah, that's what I keep saying. Although yeah. this new diagnosis, but it still won't. It just is, might be a bit longer. It's just a bit longer. Yeah, and I think the the other thing I think that we were sort of wanted to get to with this is that, given all of that, so when you are working, you're trying to manage this extra layer. Quite honestly behind closed doors, mm-hmm. right, mostly unless yeah. you're in a situation where you're completely open. So you're you're trying to fit all of this stuff in. And I think inevitably what happens is you either, I mean, we've seen plenty of women who were absolutely committed and enamoured with their jobs who've just left. Yeah. Mm. So then they've got this identity crisis, potentially financial impact, et cetera, or that you keep pushing, pushing and you burn out and things get bad. And I can say that's what happened for me. So I kept pushing, pushing because it's my nature and I I feel like I should. And you know when people Mm. say to you, how do you do it? I think for a while there I quite enjoyed the fact that I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I felt really proud of myself that I was doing it. Mm. And maybe I felt. It was impressive. doesn't mean it was the right thing for you. But it was super humorous. You know, I like the stimulation of hard things. So in some ways I didn't mind Mm. that, but. You can only do that for so long. Well, that's mm. what happened. Yeah. So I actually, my job ended, and I, but it was sort of a good thing for me, just before COVID. So I actually didn't work through COVID, but my children did no home learning. They were so, they were literally rocking under the desk every day for two years. So I'm really grateful that I didn't, but I learned how I experienced my life without working. And we also had to make massive decisions. We had to sell our house because we had a, a big mortgage, which we could afford in the previous situation because we both had really high paying jobs. So we actually had to really face into our life. Mm. And we, I think by that stage, we were like, whatevs. We actually Mm. didn't even care. We were like, we're selling, we're moving. So that was a massive change. And then during COVID, I ended up drinking. I was already drinking like party girl drinking when I was younger. So I always like probably land on alcohol a bit, but I ended up drinking so much during COVID that by the end, I actually couldn't stop. I became addicted and I think that is absolutely Mm -hmm. the result of the burnout that I had experienced over those 
10 mm, years. You're self-medicating. Self-medicating. But and our demographic is the most vulnerable. I know. I know. Yeah. But I guess what I, I think it's really important to say this because I reckon most of the parents that we're, mm. that might be listening are one or the other. They've either stopped working and now they're living with that massive impact and shift or maybe they're still trying to make it work. But I really want to kind of call out the risks of that because yeah. I ended up really quite unwell. Mm. I didn't know it was happening. I couldn't see it happening, but I knew that I was drinking too much and I hated it and I felt sick all the time and I couldn't cope. I couldn't cope with all the hard stuff that I had to do. So it was almost my crazy brain's way of saying enough, yeah. You this is we're going to find mm. one way or other for this to stop. Mm. And so now I'm pleased to say that I'm sober. I've been sober for 4 months. I don't yeah. drink at all. Well and done, it's Anna. absolutely changed my life, but Amazing. I I don't have shame about that because yeah. I was doing my very best and actually probably the risk of being me was that my expectations of myself were too high mm. and I actually damaged myself. And mm. I think that's a real, this is a really massive thing for us that we, in this life, we have to really face into the reality of our lives yeah. and really accept that it's not the way we thought it was. Yeah. It's, but it can be okay, but that's a massive shift. It's quite amazing, Anna. Like I've known you for a very long time and you've always had a vice. So, you know, Siggers or yep. partying or yep. working workaholic yep. or you know alcohol for a long time. So this is like you at your most your bare your nude. You know what I mean? Without mm. any of those things, yep. with this challenging life and your kids, like I think it's incredible. I'm so proud of you. Amazing. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you. Because I'm who wants to face it? Yeah, I don't so want to hard. face it all. Not it looks yeah. ugly. Yeah. yeah. You know I what I mean? Think, well, I'll I tell like you what. to be slightly fuzzy when yeah. it's all going oh, to shit. So did yeah. I. Yeah. So did I. Same. And yeah. I, you know what? I did whatever I had to do to get through. Yeah. And yeah. I don't, I'm still proud of myself. I love that, that I got you have no shame that. around that. I have no shame yeah. about it. I actually think it's really important to say, and I know that some people will judge, and I'm I'm yeah. open to that because yeah. I I can't control what other people think. But also I really highly doubt that I'm the only one in this situation. And I want to say that I didn't understand how destructive alcohol was. I have learned so much mm. about it now through the way that I've gone through my recovery and now I understand that it is a... Uh, like a depressive? It, well, mm-hmm. it's a, a, a progressive, progressive, a progressive yeah, yeah, yeah. illness, sickness, yeah. whatever you want to call it. you were spewing all the time, yeah? I was you were le- pulling you were over. Yeah. I was driving along. Yeah. This is the day after and I would drink every day. Every day I would drink, I would wake up hungover every morning, feeling sick, depressed, ashamed, and then trying to do the basic things like pack a lunchbox and get someone to school. I would pull over and vomit at the side of my car. I would vomit in the car park of the supermarket. I was, I would, one time I dropped someone off at school. Was it you, Shara? And I was like, I'm wearing the same outfit from yesterday. Yeah, that's sweet. And I was literally like, what has happened to me? I am Mm. not coping. Did you sleep in your clothes? Yeah, Mm. yeah. Mm. Yep, slept yeah. in my clothes. Mm. Just and I couldn't even get up. You know, I just dragged myself out, and I would be late all the time. Did you have the memory panicky. loss like me? No, I didn't have uh, blackout so much. No, yes. but I just was. I just, and I was drinking more and more, and I was drinking earlier and earlier in the day. Mm. I could see it. I could actually watch it happening. Yeah. And look, I could do a whole ep, many apps on this, but I want to put it out there because I want to say, this life where we're trying to manage financial. Which and it's all connected to work, right? If we can't work, we're financially impacted. We're um, identity-wise impacted. Is it connected to work? Is it connected to money? Um, like if well, you if were imagining, working, if we all had all this money, yeah. Would we but then, I guess for me, it's the same thing because yeah. I have to work for money. Yeah. But I also have to work for my 
for myself and yeah. for my for my need for yeah. stimulation Same. and for and my for your confidence and, and being a, my, someone to say, well done, you just did something exactly. good. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And so I think that's. I, I, I mean, I'm really keen to hear how other people might have mm. managed it, and I think that it's going to be really important to seek out stories of different versions of people who've. Yeah. What have they done? And also to say it is going to change. In one way or another it's going to mm. change and that we don't, it, however we're trying to imagine what the future is going to look like, we can't base it on what we know mm. about the present today. That's just no. what my elder said literally as I was walking out the door once we'd just finished speaking about, please don't say <laughs> that life's really hard. When they said to me, what are you going to talk about today? And I said, you know, how sometimes parents, particularly women, have to pull out of the workforce. And I, and I said, you know, like our friend, and I was giving the example of one of our friends in mm. the WhatsApp group. And they said, Mum, but one day it's not going to be that hard for that mum. Yes. Oh. And, you know, Amazing. that kid who's the same age, so they're both 14, almost 15, is going to be feeling a lot better about going to school and they won't need their mum to drive them or mm. they won't need days mm. off and it, it'll be okay. Yeah, and right. that and I was like, is Amazing. why I mm. like hearing from you about your eldest because you give me hope and other mm. mums that I know who are a few years ahead and now I'm starting to be able to say, I can't believe I'm saying this because I used to hear other people saying it, you know, but it does get better. Mm. It doesn't, it changes and it gets, continues to be really challenging. Mm. But if we remember that most of these neuro situations are developmental disorders, mm. which means that our children don't develop in the typical way. They still learn. It just takes them longer and it might be in a different yeah. way and that's the challenge for us to help support that. But they're, they're still maturing. I mean, I, I think about people who have children that have regressive syndromes and I think, oh, mm. God, I just can't even imagine how you get yeah. your head around that. They are progressing and growing and learning. Mm. And when that happens, Things change, and we're progressing. And and we're progressing and, and learning yeah. and growing. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I still feel very, very sad and very cross about the financial impact that it has mm. on families like us. And mm. I'm very grateful for NDIS. I keep saying that, like, really, really grateful. But I don't know how we can convey the real difference between parenting children who don't have some of these challenges. Yeah. Because I don't think it's understood and I don't know how we can yeah. be. And so my boss, I've, I've, I've been very open with him and I tell everyone at work about my situation because I want them to know if I don't respond, if I'm not here, if I have to duck away, mm. this is why. And I'm really open about it. And I know we, in the diagnosis episode, we, not everyone wants to do that mm. and that's everyone's sort of own choice. But in some ways I feel like the more that we do that and we educate others, then someone goes, oh, I've heard about that before or, you know, yes, I've seen that before and, okay, mm. I can get my head around that and maybe yeah. I can give you some more flexibility. And it's just normalising it as yes. well. The more I just bring it up all the time, like I always tell my yes. boss stories. Yes. And, I, and just, you know, oh, yeah, and this happened and blah, 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 yes. and someone gave me the bird and yep. that was really hard to leave the house. Yeah. Mm. You know, just there like was a not the drum. Bottle. Well, not even the big dramatic events right. because it's those little ones mm. that then often might impact your performance or whatever, because you're not then saying, can I have a day off? Yes. Or can I, you're just like, oh, it's a bit late today. Yes. But you don't have to apologise and you don't have to feel bad about it. Like I think through my therapy, I've been working a lot for a long time on forgiving yourself and loving yourself and knowing you're doing your best. Mm. And if it doesn't meet everyone's expectations around you, mm. you can't control other people's expectations. You can just do your very best yeah. and advocate for yourself and your child, you know, and mm. then try and surround yourself with people who do understand and support. And I do think there's more and more people who have, yeah. if not direct experience, arm's length experience to be able to. I think that's why it's important to talk about it because yeah. I, mm. 
there was a time when I was at work and no one really knew that I had an autistic child. And so I just, I wrote a piece about it and I was getting it published and I just sent it around. Yes. Mm. And I literally got hundreds of emails from people going, oh my God, I've got an autistic child too. I'm finding it really hard. Wow. And it was basically my way of sort of telling the bosses, like, this is how hard it is. Yeah. Yeah, But also if I'm late or if I'm, it's not because I'm having a freaking massage before work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's or even the, if I was, I fucking needed it <laughs> yes. because my kids are crazy. Yeah, because yeah, yes. I'm about to die. Can you pay for it? Yes, yes. Um, no, but I think there's that thing of, I mean, I like to overshare. That's my, you know, yeah, writing is my thing. It's yeah. my therapy. Yeah. And you know, I tell people stories. I talk about it. I say it how it is. I mm. mean, with using humor to mm-hmm. soften the blow, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is my way of basically trying to change the world is to basically say, this has been my day. Mm. And there might be people around you whose day has had that yes. kind of day too. Yep. So let's all talk about this. And and I... So when a, you both finish your books, oh, everyone yeah. needs to buy them. Oh, oh my yes. God, I've written half a book. Yeah. It's typical. <laughs> I love <laughs> Mine's coming along now that the school has gone yeah. back. <sighs> when I have the energy. Yeah. yeah. Um. This... I just love this topic so much. Mm. I'm really, I really, I'm, I'm, I've had plenty of parents reaching out to me in the last couple of months and this is a very real thing. So hopefully mm. there's something in there that's been helpful. Yeah. And um, we look forward to hearing your feedback and we I look forward to seeing you ladies again very soon. Thanks, Thanks Anna. Loved it. Speak soon. Bye. Bye.